This interview is made possible by the VIEW conference. The biggest computer graphics conference in Italy. This year, our dates are from the 17th to the 22nd of October. And for details about the conference and tickets, please visit the website viewconference.it. Welcome, everyone. My name is Marilena Gutierrez. I am the director of the VIEW conference and I will be your host for this interview. This is part of the series Living Legends. And today we are incredibly honored and fortunate to have with us Glenn Keane, a true legend, an animation legend, a wonderful, wonderful person. Thanks, Glenn, for being here with us. Thank you, Maria. Elena, it's really, really a joy. Anytime I get a chance to chat with you. Thank you. Take a listen to the trailer of Glenn Keane's amazing, amazing project. Mooncakes. Check. Bungee cords. Check. We have bungee. Check. Hey, we got company tonight, so don't be late. Fly away. Wish I had the wings to take me high away. Mama used to tell me stories of the moon goddess. She's on the moon, waiting for her one and only true love. <laughs> it's just a silly myth. It's not a silly myth. It's real. Right, Papa? Uh. It's you and me, Bungie. We're gonna prove she's real. I'm gonna be there soon. In my rocket too. It's a long flight. Ew. Oh. Oh, oh. Hi, I'm Gobi. What's your name? I'm Fei Fei. I'm keeping these sweet moon pants. Dig it. <laughs> Where are they taking us? What in the world? Come on, she's expecting you! She's nothing like Mama said she'd be. Cause I'm ultra I announce a competition! Anyone who helps me bring my one true love back will get their wish granted. If you do it first, I'll get you home. Oh, oh, can I help? No. Please? No. Please? Let me finish. Okay, okay, just stop making that noise. Down there, the shine bright as me. I'm alive every night. This mission's about to get bumpy. We're not gonna make it. Don't be such a chicken. We're running out of time. Besties forever, uh, forever. Uh, 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 uh. Hi, I'm Kobe. Rad, I'm Chip. Double Rad. I wonder if I'll run into anyone else. Extraordinary. I'll start with the question: Why animation? Why did you decide to go into animation? 
Well, I think animation found me. Um, I really do believe that the best things are a gift in life. And um, the path that you think you're on is really often not the path that you thought. It's to lead you to something more wonderful. I sent my portfolio to CalArts um, in when I was 18. My dad and I drove out to the school, but the school was closed. And um, so we, <laughs> my dad uh, saw a student walking across from the, um, the dorms and he rolled down his window and he said, excuse me, young man, uh, look, uh, we, we wanted to uh, have my son go to this school, but the school's closed. And the guy's like, yeah, man, it's closed. And he was kind of a stone <laughs> guy. He takes my portfolio and he says, look, will you drop off the, my son's portfolio at the school of painting? Because I wanted to be a painter. I wanted to be a fine artist. And, um, and uh, when, when it opens... And the guy said, sure, man. And he takes my portfolio and walks away, my original artwork and everything. And we drove back to Arizona. And um, a month later, I got a call saying that I was accepted into the School of Film Graphics. Thinking like, film graphics, what is that? I had no idea what it was. <laughs> but that was the only way I was going to go to that school. So I went and the first, uh, day stepping into the classroom, everybody's flipping paper on, and doing drawings on these discs. I had no idea what that was, <laughs> but instantly, I remember just the first bouncing ball exercise, feeling weight, feeling dimension and volume, and all the things I loved in drawing was about... Um, about living in the space of what you were drawing. I mean, I would do drawings not to do a drawing, but to make the paper go away that I could step into it and feel that, that world. And that's what animation became is a window for my imagination to live in. Uh, and I just became addicted to it at that, at that point. Who were your mentors? and your storytelling uh, heroes at that time when you were 18 and when you were starting? Well, my dad was my mentor. Uh, he was a cartoonist and um, he had a comic strip called The Family Circus based on his family. He used the people around him, which has been my same approach to everything I've done designing The Little Mermaid after my wife. <clears throat> Tarzan is surfing based on my son's skateboarding. Uh, Rapunzel was very much like my daughter Claire as an artist. And, um, but my dad, when he was say, well, I guess I was, must have been nine years old, something like that. Dad um, said, Glenn, I'm a cartoonist. You're an artist. And it was, it was the, the most wonderful 
thing I think I'd ever heard. It was like being knighted. Um, I mean, everything I desired was to be an artist, but to have somebody else call you that and to, to be your father uh, was wonderful. And he gave me a book called Dynamic Anatomy by Bern Hogarth. Um, and I started to, to learn the figure and study drawings. And, and I remember doing all these drawings of um, the, the discus thrower, just kind of based on Greek uh, and Roman statues. And uh, I was on the, the school bus going to school in the morning and had my sketchbook and my friends gathered around and they were looking and they all started laughing, um, saying, ha Keen's drawing naked guys. <laughs> and, um, and everybody was laughing at, at me. And, you know, and at that age, when your friends are laughing at, at you because of you doing what you think is, is okay, and then there's this temptation, like, like well, don't do that, you know, because you're not like everybody else. But at that moment, I had a path to go one way or the other. But I remember, I mean, for my my dad saying, Glenn, you're an artist, that meant everything to me. And his encouragement and his friendship. And um, I realized, wow, I'm different. They don't, they don't do what I do. That makes me special. And and it was that that choice right then that has kept me on this path of of being an artist. Um, that's who I am. That's that's really my biggest desire. When animation came in, I never lost that. Animation just became oh, this is a way that I'm going to express myself as an artist. I really feel like if Michelangelo or Rodin or Degas was alive today, they would want animation because it's the ultimate art form. It's, it's interesting when you said that your father told you that you were an artist and that you were drawing naked bodies and I smiled. I exactly thought Michelangelo. It, it's something that I think that I have said to a lot of different groups of, of teams as I've worked with them that, um, you know, this is our moment in time to be an artist. Um, I mean, if it was 500 years ago, we'd be talking about building cathedrals or, but our cathedrals are animation. We do it stone by stone and, it's frame by frame, and but this is our time to be an artist, and whether it's CG or hand-drawn, that really embrace this moment. I mean, this is who we are, just as much as the Renaissance artists were. Sometimes I, I get extremely frustrated because animation is perceived as uh, an art form exclusively for kids. Yeah, it's really... You, you are creating something far beyond um, what you ever dreamed possible. I mean, as a kid, we have imaginations that go 
really, really big. And then as we grow older, we have a skill where we can start to realize it. But what you're trying to, to attain is always out of reach. It's always, it just keeps, it's that mirage that you will keep looking for. And, uh, and it, you, but you have to keep this, um, this childlike quality of believing the impossible is possible, of pursuing this, your imagination like it's real, and, um, and just never, never losing that childlike quality. Yeah, and Picasso said, when I was young, I could draw and paint like Raphael, but it's taken me a lifetime to learn to draw like a child. And I, I think there's that connection that I, I never want to lose that. I think there's a humble quality that a child has. They don't think they're great. They think that there's so much to grow, so much uh, that they have to learn. I, I, I feel like that right now. I, I really feel like I'm just barely staying ahead of, of what I'm trying to, to accomplish. Your career as an animator goes back to the 1970s um, Disney features like The Rescuers, The Fox and the Hound, right through Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Tangle, and the list goes on. What are some of the big changes that you have seen in animated features through the years, both uh, creatively and in terms of production? And what are some of the things that have not changed in all of this time? I, I really think that, you know, every generation uh, of artists is going to reflect their viewpoint of life in a unique way. Um, if you look at Disney animation from the 40s and 50s, um, there's a certain um, fragrance that it has. It, you know the era that it was made. Um, and it really brought it home to me when uh, uh, we had done The Little Mermaid. And uh, I, at the opening in Westwood, we had the, our first screening and Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, my mentors, were there. And so after, afterwards, they were both standing on a corner near the, the lamppost. And I thought, oh, I've, I've got to go talk to them. I said, so what did you think? And uh, I was hoping, you know, they were going to say, it was wonderful. <laughs> Instead, there was this pause and they both looked kind of serious. And um, Frank said, well, Glenn, um, we wouldn't have done it that way. And I said, what do you mean? And Ollie said, yeah, Glenn, there was, there was a lot of 
really ugly expressions with Ariel. There was a lot of really <laughs> ugly. I mean, she just wasn't pretty. And, um, you know, first I was hit that one. And I realized, it just immediately I remembered animating this movie and animating Ariel. And any time I had a choice between drawing her pretty or true, I mean, the real emotion, because um, I was stopped framing through uh, footage that we had shot of, of an actress. And, you know, not every frame does she look beautiful. There's some where your face is all scrunched up because there's some emotion and the muscles are contorting a little bit. And, and I, I found those particularly valuable. And we would, if we ever had a choice between pretty or real, we always went with real, we always went with true. And, um, and I found their comment to me really um, vindicating in some way. We did not want every frame of Ariel to look like a princess, a perfect girl. Uh, she was real. And that, that's our generation. The films that have been made in live action, this is the same kind of a thing. There's, there's like an authenticity uh, instead of an idealism. Idealism in their world has, has become secondary to an authenticity in ours. What is it today? What's today's generation? To me, um, I, mean, I think that there's a spirituality. I think that there's something about the soul coming out. It's not just the exterior, but what's happening on the interior. All the way through over the moon, I kept um, reminding our team what Ollie had said, don't, don't draw what the character is doing, animate what the character is thinking and feeling. And I think that we are taking that way beyond where they, they took it at that time. Um, the emotional expressions are so subtle now with CG and the animation that's going on, muscles under the skin, uh, that you can capture feeling and uh, the soul. I mean, we're really trying to animate the soul. What inspired the story of Over the Moon? Well, uh, it was first written as a short page beat outline by Janet Yang um, at, for the Pearl Studios in, in Shanghai. And she, she produced the Joy Luck Club. And she grew up knowing all about this goddess on the dark side of the moon. And so she came up with a very simple idea of, of this 12-year-old girl uh, feeling uh, the need to go meet this goddess and to build a rocket to the moon. And uh, so it was just a very simple development of that. Then Audrey Wells, uh, came in and she, she wrote this beautiful screenplay um, and added the, the element of the need for healing. 
everything that she writes is about healing. And uh, she also knew that she would not live to see the this movie, um, that she had cancer. We didn't know that at the beginning. and But she was really writing this for her daughter, who was going to see the film and be given a message that was really deep and powerful, that learn to love somebody new. Don't don't let this stop you. Um, don't be afraid of, of embracing the difficult thing. As in the, our movie, when I was reading the script and I got to the page where Chang'e, the goddess, goes into the, the chamber of exquisite sadness, um, you, don't, you don't read words like that on a script without being hit by it. The chamber of exquisite sadness. What? What is that? And it, but the way she described it, you knew that um, Fei Fei, our our heroine, was going to have to enter this chamber. But it was exquisite sadness because there was something better on the other side. There was a new joy waiting for her, and um, that was. That was really planted uh, there in in the most powerful way. I mean, I felt like if I if all the pages following were lost on that script, I would have known how to end this movie. Um, I remember, you know, just well through the pandemic, um, thinking about Fei Fei says. I just want things to go back the way they were. And, you know, you don't, you don't live life going backwards. You only go forward. And it's going through the pain and the struggle that you grow as a character. And there's healing in that. And um, so Audrey really put that into the script and, um, so at the beginning when, I mean, I had just done a talk in 2017 at Annecy uh, and it was on thinking like a child and I didn't know it, but um, this was before I heard anything about over the moon and I was busy going to head down a different path, work on a different idea that I have. Um, and at that time I was um unknown to me, I was actually auditioning for this movie because in the audience was Pei Lin Chow and Melissa Cobb. Melissa would become head of Netflix and Pei Lin was head of uh, Pearl Studios and they had this script. And as I expressed everything I love in a character about characters that believe the impossible is possible and um, have this burning desire to pursue what they can see in their mind and um, they they knew that they had a character just like that in their script in Fei Fei. And they said, that guy, he's got to direct this movie. So they approached me afterwards and uh, my, my producer, Jenny Rim, and I, um, we read the script and were both just so moved by it and felt like, well, whatever we were going to focus on at that point, we are now going to uh, make this movie. Can you 
elaborate a bit about the different styles that you used in the moon uh, sequences. There's a very different style from the one in quote unquote, the real world. How did you come up with that, with that look and feel? Yeah, well, in reading the script, um, I realized that one of the biggest challenges was going to be um, how do you do what Wizard of Oz did so well, going from black and white to a fantasy world. They could use black and white to technicolor. And I mean, that was, for the audience then, it was, whoa, shocking. Um, and I was thinking, okay, that's been done. I mean, I guess we could have done that again, but you want to do something new. And, and I, when we went to one of the first things we did to do this movie was to go to China to experience really what, what it means to be Chinese and um, creating from the point of discovery is gives you great power and, um, passion to communicate something. And uh, I'd been invited into this, my, my producer, both producers are Asian. So many of our team were Asian and I needed to really marinate myself in this Chinese culture. Um, and as we were walking around this little town, Wuzhen in China, my production designer, Celine de Rumeau, who had just finished a month of backpacking through China and met us there in Shanghai. Um, she said, Glenn, look at, look at the walls. Look at the white walls. I said, yeah, they're white. No, they're not white at all. They're blue and green and yellow. And she was... She said, look at all the colors of the light reflecting off the textures. And, um, and Celine was really zeroing in on the key to what was going to make this movie possible visually. Um, and then when she, when she went to um, Sony uh, to work there with the, the team up in Vancouver, um, she her first task was, okay, we're going to paint a white wall. You know, and they're saying, okay, so what do we do the next day? No, no, <laughs> this is going to take a month. You know, like, and so they learned to do this. It's a little bit like Mr. Miyagi and uh, karate kid <laughs> learning, you know, karate from, you know, washing a car. So they developed a great eye for detail and texture and reflected light. Then when you go to Lunaria, I had given Celine a, uh, the image from the Pink Floyd uh, Dark Side of the Moon poster or album cover with the white light springing into uh, a rainbow of colors, a prism of color. And so she started to really focus on letting Lunaria be source light, light coming from the inside. I'll never forget when she showed me the first shot of Feifei in this world of these glowing buildings, what it was gonna look like, my reaction was laughing and crying all at the same time. 
<laughs> this is ludicrously beautiful. I've never seen anything like that. Uh, it, was, it was really, really incredible. I mean, and that started for me something that uh, I am now trying to live out. And, and that is um, what I call reverse mentorship, where <laughs> you surround yourself with people <clears throat> that are younger and better than you and are going to teach you something. And I, <laughs> I learned so much from Celine and there was so many different people on our team that um, were mentoring me. I mean, I'm sharing something with them too, but uh, this is something that I expect I'm going to do for the rest of my life. In your view, what makes this uh, story of Over the Moon particularly relevant to modern audiences? Well, Fei is a really interesting person because I've, I, I've spent my life as an animator. I enter the movie through the protagonist, through Fei Fei. She's the boat that's going to take you through the movie. Um, like you hop into the Pirates of the Caribbean, you hop into that boat, and you can look all around, but it's really through that path that they've designed. She is the guide for us in the movie. So when I um, was thinking about her, she's this combination of both parents. She's scientific, very analytical. She knows math and science and physics, and um, there's this intelligence to her. But she's also like her mom, and she has this imagination and, and believes in this goddess on the dark side of the moon. And, and there's both sides to this character. Um, she is somebody who has this great depth and dimension. And I think that that's, that's really what makes this film work is, is that you crawl into her mind and her soul, her heart, her emotions, her feelings. Um, I remember worrying how I was going to have like well, up to a hundred animators working on this movie and playing Fei Fei and how do you keep consistency on her? And so I was suggesting to Sasha Kapitchampanga, who is the head of our animation team up in uh, Vancouver, that it would really be helpful if he, um, if we could use an actress to be as our, our common uh, base of performance for everybody. And Sasha said, um, Glenn, could we not do that? So, okay, well, what, what do you want to do? He said, well, I want to have each animator um, act out the scene themselves to listen to the, the actor's performance and find something in their own life that feels like that and that they perform it. He said, because then I think we will find a sincerity something identifiable in them that is really going to communicate with the audience. And I just felt like, oh, Sasha, this is, yes, let's do this. 
Maria Elena, we could cut together a live action version of Over the Moon and you would see men and women playing every character possible, expressing themselves in the most fascinating, emotional, true way. I mean, there were times where uh, our animators were in tears or they were laughing. I mean, they were, it was real for them. Um, it, it's, it's the thing that I think really is what makes this film the, the most unique for me is that how you can live in the skin of the characters. You used um, hand-drawn animation to tell the story of, of Shanga. Why did you decide to go hands-on? Besides the fact that I love to draw, <laughs> I, I figured, okay, I'm going to do this movie, but I'm going to just draw the whole time. Um, did it in storyboarding, designing characters, and drawing over well, every shot in the movie. There's drawing. I mean, I drew more in this movie than I did in Little Mermaid or Beauty and the Beast. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a hand-drawn film and yet it's CG. Uh, when I read in the script this part where the story of Chang'e is um, gonna be illustrated on a scarf, it was a graphic illustration. And I, I thought, okay, this really needs to remain in a graphic way. Uh, it would be wonderful if it hand animated and there's something about um, hand animation that, um, that I felt like I could really control the, the rhythm and the grace that I needed to see with her. Because we were going to be taking a character that was very valuable, uh, revered, by the Chinese culture, Chang'e. And we were about to turn her upside down uh, and do a nuclear version of Lady Gaga, Katy Perry. <laughs> you know. And so I felt like we really needed to establish the respect um, for who she is. And when the Chinese you know, audience looks at at that animation of the of Chang'e and the scarf, they feel like, yes, that's who we connect with. That's her. Um, and, and I just felt like, okay, I'm going to, um, I'm going to animate that. And it's an interesting thing too. The, um, I was working with uh, a designer in China for the costumes, Guo Pei. And Guo Pei uh, is probably one of the greatest designers in the world today. <clears throat> and um, I met with her and she doesn't speak English and I don't speak Chinese. And uh, so we, we started talking about designing costumes for, for Chang'e. Uh, and I discovered that she actually wanted to be an animator at the beginning, but didn't know, we didn't know the path for that, but that was always the desire. So this was a chance for her to enter into animation, designing these costumes. So we did a lot of drawing and 
halfway through her, her husband, who was um, our translator, got up and left. I, he was hungry or whatever. And for the next hour, she and I talked, no translator. The only thing we had was <laughs> drawing and hand gestures and uh, Guope just kept talking, 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 talking. <laughs> He's describing the way uh, the fabric would be moving. And, and I just never forgot the movement of her hands. And those were all the movements that I was animating in that hand-drawn was, was really Guope's hands. And even later on is in the Chamber of Exquisite Sadness is Chang'e's drifting down and her hair moves and the scarf, I mean, her, her um, silk dress uh, as super silk is the way I described it would be for um, a Guo Pei who has to find real fabric like that. And in CG, you could, you could create anything you wanted, which fascinated her. Um, but I would draw over top of the animation, remembering her hand uh, gestures. Hand-drawn really is a thread all the way through this whole movie. To what extent are the performances rehearsed or pre-planned? And uh, how much room is there for improvisation, literally, as you draw? Well... For every person on the film, I expect that they will discover something that none of us knows. They have to take something of their own life and put it in there. And uh, I expect that with story artists, I expect that with the animators, I expect that with the actors who are recording, that they will find something and it triggers them. Ken Jong was incredible with ad-libbing the ideas that he was coming up with. I noticed that with um, for Fei-Fei and for Chang'e, Kathy Ang who did Fei-Fei and Philippa Su who did Chang'e, they're both entertainers. And, and I, we found that, you know, you're recording them and they're in this soundproof booth. And so they do they give this great performance, but there's, there's no audio reaction. And, and they, they have to hear in some way, some reaction. But we had one of our team, uh, Trisha, has this really wonderful and loud laugh that penetrated the glass. And, and <laughs> noticed that Philip Lazou would, would turn and, and saw that we were laughing. And so she said, oh, let, let me try it again, because she wanted to, to get us to laugh even more. And it was, so we, we moved ourselves out of that room and into the room of the performer so that they could hear us and we could respond as we are, you know, at, to their performance. So it was more like live theater to them. Um, that really helped the kind of spontaneity and the animators bringing something fresh, there was always a surprise. I mean, this was, this was a lot of fun to make this movie because everybody was bringing something fresh, something of themselves up to the screen. 
what are some of your favorite scenes in, in Over the Moon? Probably the most important one uh, happened relatively early in the movie. And, um, you know, there's a point when you are starting a film, you're wondering, are we going to be able to do this? I mean, my expectations are so high. And what I'm asking of the team is more than I did myself. And how how are they going to hit it? Um, and there's a moment uh, where Fei-Fei sees for sees meets Mrs. Zhang, the the woman that her dad is considering marrying. And after Fei-Fei's mom has passed away, her and her dad became even closer. And now there's this other lady there. And this is the moment where Fei-Fei realizes there's something romantic going on between them. Uh, Mrs. Zhang accidentally knocks over all these dates and dad and Mrs. Zhang and Fei-Fei all are on their knees picking these up. And as dad is holding, though Mrs. Zhang is holding a bowl and dad's hand touches her hand and stays on her hand too long. And you see in Fei-Fei's face, her world turns upside down. Um, it's a catastrophe for her. She, she doesn't know how to handle this. Um, it's chaos going on in her mind, but you can't move her. So it's, it's all the tiny little things that we put under the skin that I, I refer to as like, we're building a Lamborghini here with all <laughs> these wonderful little details. And, and this animator, you've got to take this car out on the road at top speed, but you can't really move much, but use everything, all the power to communicate this gut-wrenching moment for her. And Fei-Fei's eyebrows just go up slightly and squeeze together all the little design elements we put into her eyebrows to turn. And then the corners of her mouth, the corners of Fei-Fei's mouth were so important to me that they're not pinched, but the beautiful little round curve, uh, they kind of pull down just a little bit. And you feel, you feel everything that she feels. And it was um, the most the most wonderful shot for me uh, to know that we could actually accomplish accomplish such a, a subtlety in our performance, and we were going to uh, go back to that well for the rest of the movie. That's I guess that's my favorite shot because of that. Tell me a little bit more about the abstract style. In, in the moon. I see a lot of uh, Joan Miro in those colors and in, in the look and feel. It was really a challenge, you know, because we, we had to come up with a world that was unlike anything on earth. And at first we were looking at modern architecture. And no matter where you go, um, and how crazy the design of modern architecture goes, it still looks like something that you would see in Beijing or Dubai or somewhere. 
um, because modern architecture just is like that. <laughs> and it kept feeling like earth. And we were struggling trying to think about this. And, um, you know, as a director, it's really your job to, you don't have to solve the problems, but you need to give the direction for those who will. And, and I was thinking, what can I say to Celine to get her to where we need to be? Um, and I, I remembered being in Paris, um, I must have been like 98 or something. And my wife, Linda, and I were uh, in an Italian restaurant um, <laughs> through Marbeuf. Um, and uh, I had my sketchbook and I was drawing people around me. And, um, and as I'm sketching, this young man comes over and he, he looks and he's looking at my, my, my drawing. <laughs> I, I said, bonsoir. He says, bonsoir. He says, um, my grandfather was an artist. I said, really? So who's your grandfather? Joan Miro. <laughs> what? Your grandfather's Miro? Yes, yes. <laughs> I, I love Miro. And, and so he gave me, he gave me, here's a book. And he, he said, this is a book I did on my, my grandfather. And it was, um, it was just the most wonderful gift. And uh, which I've held on to. And, it, and what I love about yeah. Miro's work is this childlike quality of these floating spheres. And Celine just took that and went so much further with it. I think that's probably why I laughed and cried at the same time is she realized something far beyond what I thought uh, would be possible with that. After so much experience in animation, what was new? what was surprising and what was totally shocking about directing your first feature film? I knew that I have to rely on other people. It's such a team effort in animation. Um, but I still uh, would find myself in animating, you know, when I was like doing Little Mermaid or Beast, in my room by myself, focused on my work. And um, I thought I would have to give that up, but I didn't. I found I just had to get up earlier in the morning. <laughs> I, my favorite parts of this movie were waking up at five uh, and then walking down Sunset Boulevard a couple miles to the studio, uh, the Netflix animation studio there that we were really the first ones in there. And that I, I would have like a couple hours before everybody else came in where I could do my storyboarding, I could do my animating. And, um, and that the things that I loved personally for me, drawing, sketching really quickly, um, I didn't know how that would fit into the process, but because of my producer, Jenny Rim was very conscious of, of that and who I was. Uh, so she really designed a whole process that allowed 
for me to be me. And, and it's, it's so important that we have producers that understand the uniqueness of who we are as, as an artist. I mean, I know I'm different than everybody else. I'm, I'm, I'm me. Uh, and I want to make movies that feel like me, that I can draw in, that I can express myself. And, um, and so it needs to be a very flexible environment. I, it needs to be very personal. Um, family means the world to me. Um, I felt like our team was like that. Matter of fact, when my folks passed away, I made sure that what I got from that house was this round coffee table that used to be in our living room um, when I was a kid. And my mom would collect coins throughout the year and put them in this penny jar. And we would all gather around and, and guess how much was in that jar, all seven of us. And whoever got the closest would win all of that. And so then we would count those pennies. And uh, I thought someday I'm going to make a movie around this table. And so I had that table in, this, in the middle of my office and everybody sat around that table uh, every day as we would work together from pitching story ideas. And on my wall next to that table was what I called my window to the world. Uh, where I would meet with people from Shanghai and Vancouver and Holland and Spain and France and everywhere. And it, this was like the most intimate and expansive world environment uh, all at the same time. Thank you for, for sharing that. It sounds fantastic. And it sounds like you were very lucky to have been surrounded uh, by uh, the amazing women who worked on the film. It was a very important um, goal um, that we had was to try to bring in as strong of a female perspective who understood Feifei as possible. Uh, Jenny, as we went up to uh, Vancouver and working with Sasha and we're building our team, she was emphasizing we need women and we need Asians who are really going to bring something personal that's uniquely Feifei. And our team just kept growing. And um, like that, that shot that I was telling you was my, my favorite was animated by Emma Shi, uh, an incredible Asian animator that um, really set standard performance and yeah you're right this was this was an incredible uh female team when i got into animation i think there was actually there were zero female animators at disney um now if i go up to speak at cal arts um the majority i'd say 65 percent are female uh uh, artists. It was uh, such a nice gift to give women positive role models and uh, representations of, of, of strong women.
the film celebrates Chinese culture and uh, also everyday life. What are your feelings about uh, the uh, over the moon's position and representation and diversity? For me, this movie was not told from the perspective of a a white American guy directing a movie. <laughs> this was very much me being invited uh, into a world that it was a privilege to step into, um, to share this culture. And I mean, I was boldly invited in. <laughs> I. The best example of it, I, we were walking through this little water town, Wuzhen, and Lulu, uh, our Chinese guide, is we're walking through there. I said, I just wish I could go in and and see what it's like in one of these homes. And I had barely even finished saying it when she turned, <laughs> was knocking at a door, I mean, a random door. And, <laughs> Literally, as she knocked, she then opened the door. I mean, you didn't even hear anybody say, come in. She just knocked, opened, and and afterwards I found out what she said because she said in Chinese, um, we have some friends here from uh, Hollywood who would love to come in and see what a Chinese home looks like. Is that okay? And the door opened, and we all walked in, and there was a group of elderly uh, Chinese folks playing the game of mahjong with these tiles in their, their kitchen. And, and I walk in and I've got my sketchbook and I'm drawing them and they invited us up into their, their bedroom and their kitchens. And, you know, it, no, that would never happen in Hollywood that somebody could knock on the door and you would just open it up. But they were really pulling us in to understand. And it was about the food. It was about... Everything that we smelled, we tasted, we touched, we heard, we saw was really important. So it was like diversity in a granular level. It was not a theoretical thing. It was like, look at the food. It's so wonderful. It was using Chinese instruments in the background. It was celebrating this really smart young girl who had this interest in space. Matter of fact, I remember, oh, well, at the, yeah, actually in the movie, we, the Chinese gave us the, um, they asked us if we would um, have their lunar rover in there, in the movie. And so we, we got the design for that. And we actually have that in the movie and it's, it's called uh, the Jade Rabbit. Um, there was a, a real desire to celebrate the, um, the family, the love of family that you felt, the sitting around the table um, and having had dinner there at homes where you could feel that. I mean, I knew that was going to be our, the bookends to our movie was going to be around that, that family table, the culture, the respect was going to be incredibly important. I am just so thankful that um, 
I was able to work on this movie at this time and to share it as a way of, of opening up in a very honest, sincere way and saying, here's beautiful people, beautiful family, sharing the same kind of love and um, respect for one another that every culture shares. Uh, so I, I'm just really thankful that I have the privilege of having this message out now. We're very proud of this film. It's communicated in the most sincere way possible. And um, I, I really do believe it will touch people's hearts and change attitudes. Yeah. Nothing's better than uh, doing something in your art form that touches people. I have a friend who um, said to me oh, this a couple of years ago, he said, uh, Glenn, do you think you, you love people through your drawing? And I said, no, I don't think so. I, I said, because I become so obsessed about my art that I have to force myself to push it away to spend time with the people I love, my wife and kids. <laughs> you know, every night, you know, it's, I, could, I could just keep working forever. And he said, you know, I think you should really rethink that. I think you do. You, you touch people through the characters that you're animating. And that touch is a touch of love because you put your heart and your soul into it. Um, and I, I really appreciated that. So, so I really do look at this movie as a, as a chance and over the moon to touch people, um, to love them you know, all around the world, uh, each one of us making this film has part of that touch. Can you tell us anything about what is next for you? Well, I am developing uh, an idea that I actually had um, before Over the Moon came along. I'm continuing to do that, which I can't talk about yet. Um, and I'm also doing a project that I, that's been with me for a long time and it's hand drawn and I'm diving into that. It's uh, all I can say, it's kind of feels like uh, trying to climb Mount Everest and it's scary. And that's kind of what you want your, whatever projects you're work, working on to feel like it's beyond your ability. Uh, and this is, and I'm going to try to grow to somehow accomplish it. So I'm starting on that right now. I'm actually here uh, at my home with my son, Max, who's part of our team. And he has a project, a trash truck that he's been, he's developed for Netflix. So Max is my production designer on this. And so we're beginning to work together and Jenny Rim is my producer and yeah, we just have this wonderful little team that that we're, we're embarking on a new project. But I can't I can't tell you what it is just yet. <laughs> so we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. To conclude, I would like to uh, ask you to leave us with some words of encouragement for young filmmakers out there who dream of becoming directors and animators. 
I would I would really encourage you to um, I mean it sounds so like you've heard it before, but to be yourself, to be you, because that's what the world needs is for you to be you all the way through every person that I've been working with on Over the Moon, I've been encouraging them, bring something of you into your work. That's, that's what this film needs. That's what is gonna touch people. People sense it when there's something sincere and real. Um, and that means if you are observing the world around you, notice it, value the little things, value the way the cat rubs up against somebody's leg and the, the tail is the last thing to, to cross the leg of the mom standing there in the kitchen. Value that the way a baby can capture attention with everybody in a room, just with the look of innocence and value the way seasons come and go and come again. Um, that it is a lifetime of discovering. So much more important than you trying to be um, up on the latest fad. Much more important to discover what God has made perfectly and beautifully around us and to gain your inspiration from life around you. However you do that, for me, it's been sketchbooks. I draw constantly and wonderful things happen like meeting Jawan Miro because I've got my sketchbook open. Um, whatever that might be for you, uh, do that because that's what's going to end up touching other people. You speak so beautifully. I think most of the time we are not bold and audacious because we're afraid of being judged and just to, to, to hear you speak from your heart and to give just to be so true to your beliefs and vision and philosophies. It's beautiful and pure wisdom. You, you bring that out in me. I mean, not everybody uh, that you're speaking to makes you feel like you can be as vulnerable and open. So thank you. All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It would be amazing if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow The View Conference on all social media. We have some amazing sessions coming up and we hope to see you all there.